Hello and welcome to Moon Line, presented by FanDuel. With promo code 444, new users can take advantage of FanDuel's risk-free first bets. You get $1,000 back if you don't win. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today, enter our promo code 444, and take advantage. I'm Ryan Noonan, joined here, as always, by friends. First, John Daigle. John, how are you, buddy? Everything going well. My personal life is over because something happens in camp every single day now. So that means the football season is truly officially here. Your travel schedule is busy though. I know that you were basically un effing. I was about to start with the F bomb. I'll wait. I like to blend them into shows, but not start at the top. Unreal. We have, I'm going to New York for the official flex league drafts this weekend uh not defending champion but did win the title for the best ball draft in 2020 over the pandemic that's actually what that championship belt is right there so new york this weekend pro football hall of fame for the expo where there is so much happening the poker tournament i'm part of the the cornhole or bags depending what region of america you're from tournament uh, i'm doing a a live Q&A panel. I'm doing a live podcast for everyone in front of everyone with our old good friends at NBC Sports Edge and Pat Corain in particular. So, uh, and then we'll all be in Vegas. Well, maybe not Sharp. Sharp back, Clark, you actually might be there just for the hell of it. But uh, we will be in Vegas for the main event drafts and NFFC drafts first week into September. So it's just, it's a busy month and busy season. In the home stretch, we're both, I feel like close, but it's still a little ways away where we have like, it's, five, six weeks, but it's like from like you're in the content space and we're trying to make bets and you want to get down some futures. And it feels like that window continues to shrink. So um, Connor Allen, recently married, is uh, gallivanting in Europe, uh, Portugal, Spain, all of those different things. Still very online in a very Connor Allen way, um, which, you know, I wouldn't expect anything different, but his wife's a big reader. He's going to have some downside, downtime too. So Connor logs into the apps that he loves and will still pop himself up. We gave him the night off though. We're going to the bullpen again, as we did a couple weeks ago for uh, our man behind um, behind the spreads. One of our best writers. We're super excited to have him. If you are not aware that we have uh, Sharp Clark on board for this season and, and beyond. So super excited that Clark is with us again to unpack a, a division that I know he's excited to get down to. So what's up, Clark? Yeah, I am excited. Um, and tomorrow I'm, I'm going to Indianapolis for Gen Con and trying not to think about football for four days, which will be the first four-day stretch since early March uh, for me. I, I do most of my work early in the offseason, and so the last month for me is, is a little bit of a slowdown in terms of work. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. To be clear, is Gen Con actually about, like, gin cocktails? No, Gen Con, G-E-N. I don't know why it's called Gen Con. Actually, it's about like board games and stuff. Oh, it's, it's I, su I support that. I would just get more excited about Gen Cocktails. But continue, board games. I love board games. It's the biggest congregation of nerds uh, in, the, in the world, basically. So it's going to be great. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all the same. I've played D&D &D in my days of college. And now the issue is I would love to do that actually still. you just It's hard to find people to do so as an adult. I guess you have to get online and do some things. When I'm on online, obviously, that's when I'm working. So I don't know anymore. Gen could be fun too. I mean, who knows? But no, no judgment here. What's the favorite? What's your favorite game? I'm sure it's some random game that the majority of us have never heard of. Yeah, Kaya Project is my number one, but I'm sure nobody's heard of it. Uh, the, give me a give me a, a 15 second premise. Yeah, it's it's sort of like advanced strategy in space. You're trying to colonize planets and okay. you know try to explore and and research and and it all kind of builds together. <laughs> that is, you're right. That's the nerdiest thing I've heard 
anyone say. You are yeah, correct. it's fine. Let's be real. I mean, there's definitely like if you're talking to people outside of the bubble, like we we like handicap football and we like draft you know an insane amount of like fantasy leagues and make prop bets in season preseason like we're in a nerdy niche so there are no judgments here and if you are judging shame on you you're listening to a you've been listening to this betting podcast about football since like may so you know no judgment let it go we're we're in a niche more that sits down and gains weight for five months out of the year but maybe that's also gen con to be honest I do, I do think it's important to have other interests. I think my handicapping is improved when I'm reading about things that are unrelated to football or participating in activities that stimulate my brain in a different way. It just creates those different patterns. I will agree. Uh, I'm a big, like, Jet Kerouac fan. Um, I re- I listen to Tim Ferriss' show religiously. Like, I, I find that everything outside of what I do actually helps me best with what I do. But, like, everything outside of it, actually, that's where the good shit is that no one else hears. We're going to stay in our nerdy niche tonight. We're going to get into the NFC North, which uh, I think is a very interesting division. We're going to remind you uh, there's lots of great content. And again, we as we are just kind of turning up the dial to 11 here at 4 for 4 with all of the stuff that you could possibly consume. Again, most of us spend our time, or Clark and I spend our time in the betting sphere. Um, I do have some fantasy articles coming soon. Daigle has been doing an incredible job with uh, individual team previews. Uh, both from a fantasy and betting standpoint, there is all you could possibly consume on the site. And again, over the next couple of months or weeks, it will be even more. So uh, 444.com slash plans. I'm really excited. I think there's a tool coming on Monday that we can share here live next week on Wednesday. That is, I'm just, I'm really excited about it. It is all encompassing stats and matchup tendency tool that um, if you follow me, I've done by hand for the last handful of years. Uh, we've automated it and actually like, blown it up uh, and made it something that, again, I talking to you now can't really do justice. If you handicap games, if you play fantasy, if you're looking for any sort of edge in matchups and anything that does deals with football, this tool is going to help streamline that process for you. Should be live on the site on Monday. So hopefully by Wednesday when we record, we can have that up and share it with you. Uh, we'll be behind the paywall because it is uh, – a huge, huge value add to a subscription at 4 for 4. So definitely want to uh, keep your eyes peeled and, and check that out. I'm sure it'll be populating on the Twitter sphere. And if you are following either of us, um, tweeted it out today if you wanted to take a quick look. Um, let's jump into it, gentlemen. NFC North is uh, is an interesting one. And from an interconference scheduling standpoint, we are looking at uh, the East. They play the NFC East and the AFC East. Uh, their 17th wonky game is against the AFC South. I think that's why you see, again, with these three conferences that are ne- not necessarily needle movers, that most of the strength of the schedules are either kind of middle of the pack or fairly advantageous. So uh, to note that, we'll get started with the Green Bay Packers. They are coming off their third consecutive division title and 12-1 uh, to 1 on Fandle to win the whole thing, 5.5-1 to 1 on MGM to win the NFC. Uh, you can get kind of a middle, depending on your position on this team from a win total standpoint. There are 10 and a half out there um, on FanDuel, 11 and a half out there on points bet, juiced a little bit either way, depending on what you're looking to do. Minus 165 on MGM to win this division. Uh, new OC here by name, though we have a lot of continuity here, obviously, with uh, two-time back-to-back MVP Aaron Rodgers re-signing in the offseason. 
Um, even though there's new OC, we know that this is kind of the little floor in Rogers offense. So this is no longer the Devontae Adams offense. And I think that that is kind of a big piece of when we're trying to handicap the Packers here and kind of how that wide receiver room emerges, I think is going to go a long way in determining what happens here, even in the division. So um, obviously having an elite play caller in the floor, all-time great QB certainly helps, but um, lots of questions here, Daigle. Uh, get us started kicking me off with the Packers. It's an interesting team this year because Aaron Rodgers doesn't necessarily get worse at football. He's still, as you said, back-to-back MVP, but the way they created this particular unit tells us that they're going to run the ball more. Aaron Rodgers splits. We know them historically actually are better without Devontae Adams, but I also question if that sustains over a 17-game period. And then, more importantly, they had two shots in the first round for offensive players, and they said, screw it, and they went defense as well. I think that tells us they're going to be relying on their bulk of edge rushers and actually playing more defense and being a run-heavier team, allowing Rodgers to still be as efficient as he's ever been on third down. I think they're going to be slower paced than what we've seen in the past uh, with Nathaniel Hackett the past three years. As we know, he went to Denver. Yeah. Um, Eighth, ninth, 13th overall in pass play rate from neutral game script. And I expect that to be even lower and again, even slower for this offense this year, but perhaps even more efficient. So I'm curious to know about Clark's takes on their schedule because I do find the Vikings far sexier. I think the Vikings are going to be fun as hell, but just like the Dolphins, just like the Eagles, I don't know if necessarily fun as hell leads to more wins. And so I'd love to get Clark's take. Yeah, I, I agree that uh, you know their offense is going to look a little different without Devontae Adams, without Hackett, but Bottom line with this team is Aaron Rodgers, when he is motivated and when he's focused and when he's keyed in, there, there's probably never been a passer as good as him in, in NFL history. His ability to read defenses, anticipate coverages, you know, hit the open man with that zip and accuracy every time. He's just a next level smart. And, and there's a lot of different ways you can elevate the players around you as a quarterback. And Aaron Rodgers does it mentally better than almost anyone in the game. Uh, there's one play that sticks out to me in the 2020 playoffs. It was a couple years ago against the Rams. Uh, they rotated out Aaron Donald for a second and 10 play because they were trying to get Donald some rest. And so Rogers ran a run play that was not very successful. It set up a third and seven, but he knew that, you know, Aaron Donald was not in the field. So he called a very, very fast play. The Rams tried to sub. They didn't get it in time. He completed a 37 yard pass because they weren't ready. And they got a defensive penalty for too many men on the field. And it was just a huge play in the playoff game. And it's like, he will outsmart you. He will use whatever avenues he has to win the game. And so I'm not as worried about about them losing Devontae Adams. I think that was the same game where we were all in the DFS world concerned about, not me, but we were concerned about Devontae Adams being shadowed by Jalen Ramsey because that's what the Rams said they were going to do. And literally when they got inside the 10-yard line, Rodgers just called pick play after pick play, and it literally didn't matter at all that he was shadowed. Just like, yeah, we're still going to throw the ball to Adams. Who cares? So, yeah, he's, as you yeah. said, the most intelligent quarterback on the field right now. Exactly. And and you talk about his splits without Adams. It's not a coincidence. You know, there, there was one game in there where, Robert Tunyon had three touchdowns because Adams wasn't playing. And so Rodgers decided he studied the defense and figured out, okay, they're going to be vulnerable to this tight end. So I'm just going to hammer the tight end. And then there's another game where Alan Lazard had a massive game. He just, he sees things and he anticipates it and then he implements it. And so I think they're going to, they're going to, you know, not be as explosive without Devontae Adams. Sure. But I'm not, not too worried, especially with two great running backs. And, and to go to the schedule that you're asking about, I, 
I think that all the, all the teams in this division have a fairly easy schedule. What sticks out to me for the Packers is if you think about all the legitimate Super Bowl contenders, you're talking about the Bills, the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Bucks, the Packers, the Rams, maybe some other teams in there. The Packers have the easiest path, in my opinion. Their schedule is easy. The Vikings are kind of a question mark, and we'll get into those, getting them a bit more. Uh, but they have the easiest path to me to, you know, getting the number one seed again and putting them in a position where all they need to do is win a couple home playoff games to get to the Super Bowl. Um, so I do think things have worked out favorably for the Packers in the absence of Adams. Yeah, they do have three or four at home in December, and those are all uh, like they get the Rams. California team, obviously. And then they get two dome teams, you know, in the division here. So like, um, you know, that's an ad, you know, an advantageous spot in the schedule. They do have the the largest rest disadvantage in the league this year. They basically all pops up in a couple weeks, week seven through 10 in particular, they play three straight on the road, uh, week seven, eight, and nine week eight is at Buffalo and that's Buffalo off of a bye. Not great. And then their first game home to end this three in a row is against Dallas. But Dallas is also coming off of a bye. So that there, I think there's a handful of teams, I think three teams this, this season that play two teams coming off a bye. And that's really where a lot of that rest disadvantage is coming from. And again, that doesn't mean that they can't navigate that. And I do think the December thing works in their favor a little bit more too. Um, you made some notes around obviously having above average, and I think a really good running back room. And I think that that matters here. We've seen Aaron Jones, really be prolific at times as a pass catcher and really running a lot of routes as a receiver. Actually, 29% of his targets last year came from a receiver alignment, either in the slot or out wide. And that number should increase this year without Devontae Adams. And again, like scheming up for a game is, I think, different. We saw that last year. Was that I think it was that Arizona game where we saw a lot of Aaron Jones in the outside, a lot of Jones and Dylan in the lineup together. We're going to see, I think, even more of that. But Daigle, I really am interested in your thoughts around the receiver room because there are, I think so many, I would say, I guess, wide receiver threes on paper, but we really need a wide receiver one or someone to step up. I think outside of Aaron Jones to really elevate this offense. Now I do think that LaFleur and Rogers can naturally do that, but someone has to emerge and step up here. Now we're seeing, you know, lots of stuff on Romeo Dobbs. We know that they signed Sammy Watkins, who is a lifetime wide receiver three outside of a couple of, you know, playoff games here and there. Alan Lazard's getting a lot of buzz. We know the the trust with Rodgers. Similar to Brady, we see this veteran element where they really need to trust someone. Is there someone that you trust that you're leaning to maybe in the prop market or in drafts that you think can really emerge? Well, ADP allows us to decide it. And thus, right now, what's happening is that Alan Lazard is being treated as an alpha. And although he does step into more opportunity, he legitimately, prior to last year, when he had a career I hate touchdowns, even though he didn't exceed 80 receiving yards in any game, like he was not a touchdown scorer. That's what he was in college, oddly enough. But in the NFL, he was never treated as such. And now he's getting jammed up to Adam Thielen range, uh, to Devonta Smith. Uh, Russell Gage was also there. Tyler Lockett. He's ahead of Tyler Lockett, actually. And so, like, it's not a range where I'm interested in Alan Lazard at all. And... Everyone had, it's now returning, it's now settling because of Christian Watson's slight knee surgery, what they call a minor, but everyone had like the prospects wrong from the beginning. Uh, we did our, I did my rookie blurbs for four, four on draft night. And like, if you ever watch film or like research these prospects, like Christian Watson, even having second round capital to Romeo Dubes, it's pronounced dubs. If you look at Google, 
but he said he just never corrected people. So it's actually dudes. This is the offseason, by the way, of name changes across the NFL between yeah. Ken Walker and everyone else. Everyone's Robbie Anderson, everyone's changed their names. But Christian Watson was actually a worse prospect than Dubes this entire time. Uh, 6'4", yes, that's what everyone was enticed by, but literally never played an FBS game his entire career, and even so, 13% drop rate and only a 30% contested catch rate. So he didn't even know how to use his big body. So it's not a player I wanted to draft anyhow. But Dubes, on the other hand, last two years in college, still top four in the nation and yards, 20 plus yards downfield. Like he is a true deep threat, both in receptions and explosive plays. That's how he gets the ball. We've also heard Aaron Rodgers talking about him in camp now that the seas have parted with both Watson and Sammy Watkins being injured. So I actually think Romeo Dubes is like the best way to go here even more so than Lazard at their respective ADPs. I did my pros versus Joes, the last of the pros versus Joes, last night, Tuesday night, and Dubes actually went in the 13th round. I think he's going to settle, by the time we get to Vegas for main event, high-stakes drafts, he's going to settle around the 14th round, honestly. That's interesting. I, I think the offensive line is a question a little bit too, right? It's solid if everyone's healthy, but David Bakhtiari was an issue yeah. last year. What's that? You don't think... No, 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 I agree with you. Like, it, oh, I was, okay. I was sighing because you're right. Like, Boxy okay. is big, man. He's yeah. Big. So, like last year, it was almost like he's going to be back, and then they just kind of kept kicking the can down the road, and then he came back and was limited, and then it wasn't like it was like new issues where they have they were having to like drain the knee, and then didn't end up playing in the playoff game after coming back for one. And now, like reports in the last couple of days are that they're really handling him with kid gloves, and they don't really have a timetable for him. It's probably pretty smart. We're still, I guess, in early August. They don't need him out there, you know, doing everything in camp, but his impact is massive because they also lost Elgin Jenkins with an ACL late in the season last year as well. So like, even if one of them isn't there to start, they have a handful of rookies that someone's going to have to play tackle. None of these kids play tackle in college. That's an, that's an issue. Again, could be only an issue early in the season, but again, like, I don't know the Jenkins timeline, but it sounds like he's probably behind Bakhtiari, and that doesn't seem great either. So something to monitor as we come up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, maybe there's some you know opportunities early in the season to look against the Packers if we have a nice matchup from a pass rush standpoint, but that's definitely on my radar. You mentioned how they addressed the, the defense with the draft. I think last year they dealt with a ton of injuries, and then there's just a trickle-down effect. When you lose a guy like Jair Alexander, um, his absence was massive. They used both of those first-round picks on Georgia Bulldogs. Quay Walker, Devontae Wynn, massive talent upgrade for Joe Barry along the front seven. I think we see some more traditional base looks from Green Bay this year. Uh, Barry coached, as we know, in L.A. with Brandon Staley. And we heard a lot about that with Staley last year, who basically just they barely put seven in the box, never put eight in the box. And that works a lot in L.A. when you have Aaron Donald. And we found that the Chargers didn't have a lot of success with that. Um, they've attacked that in the draft as well. Um, in free agency. And I think you're going to see that a little bit here with, uh, especially with the win pick. I think you're going to see a little bit more of a traditional base set from Joe Barry. And again, you put Alexander in there. He's a guy that you could put in the slot. You can allow him to do anything that you need to do. You know, Eric Stokes is a really nice addition last year in the draft and played really well for them. I think this defense is much improved, even though a guy like Zadarius Smith went on and, and re-signed or signed as a free agent with Minnesota, who we'll get to in a minute. I still think this pass rush is good. And there's a lot of talent in the back half. So, again, if the injuries can play themselves out, I think that that's why the Packers are still probably in the mix. They also had the worst special teams in the league last year. That showed up in a big way in the playoff game against the Niners with, you know, the two block kicks. 
Uh, Mason Crosby, I think, is going to have to kick for his life if he hasn't already lost that job. I think you know they're looking to par- probably replace him. So, um, yeah, I think this is going to be. I think the division's a little closer. I think maybe because we want to talk about a sexy team like Dagle talked about with Minnesota, but uh, the Packers aren't going anywhere unless something happens to Aaron Rodgers, and I think that's pretty straightforward. Let's move on to the Vikings that we I think are all um, interested to talk about here. Vikings forty to one to win the Super Bowl. They are twenty to one to win the NFC. Again, another team that has some middling opportunities from a win total standpoint. There are eight and a halfs out there, along with nine and a halfs, uh, depending on the juice. Nine and a half is minus one twenty-five to the under. They are three to one to win this division, middle of the pack from a strength of schedule standpoint, and they are uh, flat in terms of rest. So, pretty big shift here. Uh, rebuilding, I think, on the fly a little bit. Boring run first. Defensive-minded coach Mike Zimmer is out, replaced by uh, former Rams OC new head coach Kevin O'Connell. That alone should be reason for optimism. We also have a new young analytical GM in place. Uh, I think there's a lot of arrows pointing up. Um, overall, though, they're walking both into a pretty good situation as far as a roster standpoint. Just kind of need a talent maximizer. And, uh, again, you don't really see this upheaval that much on a team that is kind of kicking around in the middle. We typically see these teams that are – you know, down in like the Bears or the Lions territory where you're, you know, drafting at the top of the draft and, you know, redo the entire thing. But there's a lot of talent on both sides of the football here, Clark. We'd love to get your thoughts on the Vikings. Yeah, I'm, I'm generally optimistic, uh, cautiously optimistic on the Vikings, but I'm a little more shy than I think a lot of people that are actually making bets on them because I think there's too many unknowns. And it starts with Kevin McConnell. I mean, we, we know what the Rams offense looked like last year. But there's two pieces of that Rams offense that don't exist in Minnesota, and that's Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford. And Kirk Cousins is not Matthew Stafford. He may, he may have he may be able to put out some stats that might maybe rival Stafford. But there's an element of mind games that again Stafford plays not to the extent Rodgers does, but Stafford is manipulating defenders with his eyes. He's anticipating coverages. He's calling out things. Kirk Cousins is a very by the book kind of quarterback. You know, like when it's there, he'll take it. He's he's pretty accurate. You know, he feeds his studs, and that's a good thing when you have studs like Dalvin Cook and, and Justin Jefferson and Thielen. But those two things are a little bit different, and I'm not sure that uh, Kirk Cousins will have the aggressiveness that Stafford had to make this offense work if McConnell thinks he's going to translate what happened in L.A. over to Minnesota. I, I'm just not sure that I see the pieces summing up the same way they did in L.A. Um, so that, so I, have a, I have a few concerns. that The offensive line is also a big concern. Um, Kirk Cousins doesn't do it any favors by holding onto the ball too long a lot of times. Um, so I, I'm, I'm kind of like, wait and see. Uh, but they have the chance to challenge Green Bay in this division. Um, I'm just not ready to bet on it. What do you got on Minnesota, J.D.? I think they're going to be a significantly more fun offense in the past. Uh, even with Matthew Stafford. And Sean Bavay, not there. Just the fact the Rams still, we expect them to carry over this scheme, the Vikings from Los Angeles. And the Rams being top five in overall pass rate and no huddle rate last year, whereas Minnesota was practically league average in those metrics. Also under Mike Zimmer and the uh, Gary Kubiak's son, Clint Kubiak, still can't believe he was actually hired by the NFL at any point. Uh, Actually being fourth highest rate in run play rate in neutral game script the last two years, we expect them to be more up-tempo, more explosive. Rams led the league in three wide receiver sets. The Vikings last year ranked 28th overall. We expect them to play more three wide receiver sets. Dalvin Cook in particular, everyone's worried about his health, but when he's on the field, he crushes you. He ends your life. 
uh, and and from 11 personnel in particular, since we expect Vikings to play more for his career, he's averaged 5.1 yards per carry. And that's 27% of his total carries in his career have come from 11 personnel. So I don't know how you stop the Vikings, first of all. And even though they're getting some defensive players back, I also don't really expect them to stop anyone, especially how poor their secondary still is. So again, I, I do lean on their eight and a half win total going over more than Clark, but I could also be persuaded the other day, other way. I just think this team is going to be so different and so much more fun and offer so many more explosive plays and opportunities to offer more explosive plays that I want to be higher on them still. Yeah. I think the three receiver set stuff, at least, you know, the 11 formation we'll see a little bit more because yeah, you mentioned Vikings 42% of the time last year was one of the worst in the league and no team had more snaps uh, both with uh, a fullback on the field. So I think we see that uh, go down significantly. And then we also saw no team play uh, under center without motion uh, from a dropback standpoint. It was like four and a half per game more than the next closest team, which again, doesn't seem like a ton, but like that's a pretty significant amount. That's like 10, 12% of your offensive plays at times. So, you know, those changes I think can lead themselves to just some more dynamic looks. You noted the success that Dalvin Cook has had running out of 11 personnel. So again, I think your concerns Clark around the offensive line are totally justified. I think that they have a young group that could have some potential if they put it all together, especially on the outside of the tackle position, they have some improvements to do in the middle. Um, But again, like they allowed the highest stuff rate in the league last season, meaning basically their running backs were tackled at or line at or behind the line of scrimmage more than any other team. I think that's also like a scheme thing where they were just very predictable, very vanilla when you get lined up and you know that this team is going to run on second and long when they have a fullback in there, like, you know, Devin Ham, there's going to run power all the time. And I think just being able to be more versatile pre-snap motion, more play action, some of these things that we've seen creatively at times out of, you know, McVay and McVay disciples. I'm hoping that we see at least part of that transfer over and should look very different than what we saw from Mike Zimmer, who we know, loves to run. I'm a little bit more encouraged from the defensive side because I do think that the secondary is poor, but Ed Donatel has been in the league forever. He's most recently the DC in Denver. He's going to be the new defensive coordinator. Also shifting back to a three, four base here. And I think that that's going to help them based off of a lot of the other personnel that they moved. You mentioned Zadarius Smith coming back, Danielle Hunter. Uh, he could stay healthy. Both those guys barely played last year. Like this isn't uh elite elite like we talked about some of the teams in the AFC West from a book end defensive end standpoint, but it's pretty damn good. Uh, and I think the secondary gets a little bit better with the two draft picks. They grabbed Andrew Booth and Lewis seen uh, early in the draft this past April. Again, asking them to step into prominent roles out of the gate is a big ask, but again, like Patrick Peterson played better last year in Minnesota because he was asked to play less man. Cause we know that he's, a liability there now they could still do some of those things here in this base three four look if they are in some more advantageous game situations so i think there's ways to be encouraged um on both sides of the ball again they need a lot of health and we need Kirk cousins to play maybe a little bit above average and i think he's probably the antithesis of average quarterback when we think of the nfl so um from a schedule standpoint only seven true road games they play uh, in London against New Orleans in week four. They do have back-to-back road games in the cold in the division, which isn't great, uh, Green Bay and Chicago. But uh, weeks 11 through 16, late in the season, they're all indoors, and that helps too from an offensive output standpoint. Maybe we can look at some overs or some team total overs because Daigle's right. Like, there are questions 
with the secondary. And this could be an over team, like we've talked about with, uh, you know, Arizona last week or something like that. So they, they do also play four games on short weeks against opponents, but since the NFC was gifted an extra home game, since they played an extra road game last year, uh, actually they lucked into having all four of those short week games at home. So their schedule, I would argue, like kind of favors them too. I like the over, but I think instead of laying the over on the, the – because you're laying like minus 155 on the over 8.5, which is not something I love to do um, – I'm interested in maybe them to make a playoff run, uh, plus 105 on Caesars to make the playoffs. We know that the AFC is significantly better. NFC is fairly wide open. Um, you know, you can make a case for a couple different teams where, you know, whether it's a coin flip between Arizona or Minnesota or someone like that getting, you know, multiple bursts from a, a certain division. So I, that's kind of my yeah. preferred look would be Minnesota plus 105. You also get the benefit of if the Packers do fall off for some reason, this division is theirs pretty much by default at that point. <laughs> yeah, uh, I the team preview for that comes out later tonight, actually, and um, I just I'm changing it live. You're right. I had over eight and a half, but to make the playoffs is the better way to bet this, especially with literally how decrepit the NFC is. Especially like if you're like me and betting the under on the 49ers win total, then like this thing is wide open. No, it makes sense. Yeah, I think there. I think a little bit. There's, I think, optimism and there's reason for them to be a little bit of a, a challenge to Green Bay. If Green Bay does have some of these injuries of the offensive line up front early, I think obviously over the course of 17 games, the Aaron Rodgers advantage is massive. Um, so, so I'm not super comfortable in you know, saying three to one for them to win the division. I'll just be comfortable with maybe a, a playoff run. All right, Detroit, everyone's favorite team to talk about. The Lions are 150. To one to win the Super Bowl, sixty to one to win the NFC. Uh, this win total has been steamed massively. Six and a half uh, is where it sits everywhere now. Uh, you can get an over on DraftKings. There is a, a nice number plus one hundred five on FanDuel for an under, and they are ten to one to win the division. Nice strength of schedule. They have the fifth easiest uh, strength of schedule, and they are plus eleven, one of the uh, largest rest advantages in the league, which can lead to some of the optimism. They have been a popular team to bet on the preseason over the win total. As I mentioned, pounded early. Dan Campbell, coach of the year odds, were absolutely destroyed. Uh, I understand some of the optimism. There are reasons to be encouraged, though I think we are still far away from a playoff team. Dago, what are your thoughts on the Lions? I hate this. I hate this team. Uh, <laughs> I, I just hate the way they're being treated right now because, Yes, they organizationally got it right, but it's a lot like the Giants where like there are still so many holes to poke, including the most important part of your team at quarterback where like you're not making the playoffs with Jared Goff. Come on now. Let's all calm down just a bit. Uh, TJ Hawkinson is argued as one of the most explosive tight ends in the league when he's done absolutely nothing with his career. He had career highs in his first year with Jared Goff last year and targets per game, target share, and catch rate. And even then, in fantasy at least, finished the tight end 15 in points per game. Literally one of the most overdrafted players at his position. I would argue, yet again, one of the most overdrafted players at his position because he's being drafted in the wrong tier of what he's shown you so far. Also remember, Anthony Lynn last year through week nine got derailed because the Lions won one game. They said, screw this. We're going to Dan Campbell instead to call plays as he took over. And then from week 10 on, even when they were trailing, they actually had from week 10 on the league's fifth highest run play rate whenever they were down by at least a score. So it, it, 
I'm not high on their play calling. Again, I believe in Dan Campbell if he has the right personnel in place, but I'm still wary about the defense and I'm still worried about the quarterback situation. So I am not as high on everyone as everyone else on any of those odds, on team total, on coach of the year. Um, I just don't believe in any of that personally. Yeah, the golf ceiling, I think, caps a lot of the optimism. It's hard to ar- argue that they didn't upgrade the offense in like a massive, massive way on paper, right? And, but again, like, well, Jameis, we don't know when Jameson Williams going to play either. We see hype, we see hype videos, but uh, if he's not available for the first eight weeks of the season, that wouldn't be shocking. And by then, what are they? So I, I it's just not. It doesn't mesh with the Twitter echo chamber as usually life doesn't. I dealt with a ton of injuries last season too, um, especially in the offensive line. COVID hit this team in a big way. She there forecasted starting offensive line played zero games together, uh, which again that should probably come back to earth and, and uh, you know, have a little bit of regression. Also both backs, we had, you know, DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, both, mi- both missed a good chunk of time. At times, like we saw nothing but Amon Ross St. Brown when everyone else was just gone. We're looking at Josh Reynolds and, uh, gosh, Craig Reynolds. Was it Craig Reynolds that had multiple weeks of the starting? Uh, it's just not great. So, again, if they can stay healthy up front, it's a pretty good offensive line. I get why there's encouragement. Again, DJ Chark is a nice addition to stretch the field in a different way than they had last year. Again, not a great difference maker, but again, just an overall upgrade of talent. I'm with you, though. The defense is a massive concern of mine. Clark, what do you think about the Lions? For the Lions, I like to start with last year. We we got a season's worth of Lions under Dan Campbell, who frankly were terrible. And I think people are missing that because they look at statistics like Pythagorean wins. You know, they, if you look at the point differential in their games, they should have won maybe five, five and a half games. I can't remember the exact number. But that number is heavily skewed by massive amount of points scored when games were completely out of reach. I, I did I did the research on this, and 19.1% of the Lions' points scored in the whole season were scored in games where their win percentage was less than 1% at the time that they were scoring. So one-fifth of their points were completely meaningless. And to put it in perspective, the Giants were at 16%, the Jets were at 14.8%, the Jaguars were at 11%, and the Texans were at 8%. So they were significantly more meaningless points than these other teams that were supposedly just as bad as they were. In my ratings, I had them winning about three and a half games. There were no games where they had an impressive win. They they beat the, the, the Cardinals 30 to 12, but a couple things about that game really went their way, and it was, it was kind of an even game in terms of yards per play, in terms of first downs, in terms of all those metrics. And, and my numbers had them as an even game, but it was just kind of one of those games where, like, you know, the Cardinals miss a fourth down here, or there's, like, a dropped interception here, and it just kind of, you know, snowballs. Other than that, they beat the Vikings in a close one, and they beat the Packers when the Packers benched all their players in Week 18. Uh, they tied the Steelers when the Steelers had Mason Rudolph at quarterback. Painting uh, watch. Yeah, and, and they, they just were not – they were not a competitive NFL team. And I get that they were unhealthy, that they were injured a lot, but – I'm not convinced that the players that were injured were really that good to begin with. And and it's a lot of projection to say, you know, well, their offensive line is great. DeAndre Swift is great. Jared Goff is great when he has a good offensive line. I think all of that is kind of like yet to be seen. And you brought up the play calling. This is a major issue. Who, who's calling the plays for this team? You know, like when, when Jared Goff had, had Sean McVay whispering in his ear, he was pretty good. And he also had a lot of weapons on that team. But who on the Lions staff is helping Jared Goff overcome his own weaknesses in the game. I don't I don't see anyone. And so what we're going to see is a few more close games because they're going to be healthier. The offensive line is better. We're going we're, we're going to see some close games, but here's the thing. 
when you don't have a good quarterback and you don't have a good defense, it's really hard to win those close games. So people want to talk about how the Lions had a lot of close games. They're going to have a lot of close games again. They're also not going to win those games. So I think asking them to win seven after a season in which they won, by my numbers, around three and a half wins is a huge jump. I think they're going to be better, but I think they're going to be better at the tune to five or six wins as opposed to seven, eight, nine playoffs. Hell yes. Four for four is taking on the world. I love this because I do think the consensus is wrong about the Lions totally. I just was scared to bring that opinion to the table because I didn't I didn't realize Clark was going to have a similar opinion. I love it. I love it. I, just I, mean, don't, I think it's really hard to survive in this league with a – Really, really, really bad secondary. And the secondary is really bad. I was going to say Jared Goff, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously quarterback play for sure. But I think there are times where like Goff can be, what, 24th in the league? That's not a difference maker. That's not a guy that's pushing you to seven wins to Clark's standpoint. But like to actually even compete to be in close games, to win or close close games, the way the game's played now, you either have to have an elite pass rush, and I think they'll have a better pass rush, right? Aiden Hutchinson, Josh Pascal, both you know, kids that they had in the draft. Again, we're not asking a lot out of the rookies, but again, the secondary is really bad. They need, you know, they took Jeff Akuda third in 2020. Uh, bad rookie year, got hurt and missed the entire season in week one. He needs to come in and be that dude. Uh, and if not, they're really in trouble. Mike Hughes came over from KC, cashed in on a really good year in KC. But when you consider he's been in the league for three years, two healthy years, both of those seasons, he was the most targeted cornerback in the league. That tells you how much he's feared by other teams. He's just not. They started dudes in the secondary last year that I thought were creative player names. I try to stay pretty plugged in on the defensive side of the ball too, and there's just a lot of guys that I had not heard a lot of in a couple of years and playoff, you know, like um, practice squads and preseason games. And these guys are going to be asked to – step into a second year in that role and to kind of contribute. And I, I just think that that's a big, big ask um, on the defensive side. So I think there are gains made offensively, but I'm, I'm with you. Like, especially if the momentum continues to be on this team, or we've gone from five and a half to, to six and a half, and now it's even. Like, we're, we're getting kind of flat juice on both sides. I would definitely lean under under getting plus money on FanDuel at six and a half, I think, is, is interesting. Now the schedule's nice. That's fantastic. But, like, all those other teams think their schedule's nice, too, because they have the Lions on it. So – you know, I think Clark makes some good points. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I think, again, one of the hardest schedules last year, way harder, but, like, I don't know. This is not a playoff team. I you know, and people are betting on coach of the year and playoff. Like, coach of the year, they got to be what? They got to get to eight, nine. They got to get to nine wins and make the playoffs. Like, you're not going to have a coach of the year on a team that doesn't make the playoffs, right? Like, that would be – just – I don't know what we what he would need to do. I know that we love him. He went from clown – to just this beloved figure in a matter of weeks in the Twitter sphere because he's just kind of adult with uh, kneecap stuff. And then, like, I do think there's something that that team really did rally around him, and they weren't quitting. They weren't punting for the first pick. And I think that that is something where you can galvanize a locker room. Dudes still have to have talent and go win on the field, and I think that that's a massive problem for this team still. Yeah, it's also hard to maintain that kind of attitude when you keep losing. And so – you know, we've seen in the past when when coaches stay on after a very unsuccessful season like they had last year, the record's not great the following year. And I think part of that is if you've had a bad season with that coach and you start the next year and you don't you don't start well, 
it, it gets really hard to just maintain that level of intensity and enthusiasm when you're just losing and losing and losing. And so this is kind of one of those things where like, I think if they can win some games early, it can really swing their season attitude wise. But if they lose, you know, some of those early games, especially ones they think they can win, I don't know. I don't know where they muster it up from after that. You know, it's kind of like he's, he's on the way out. This might be the only reason, maybe why they can get to six and seven and flirt is because they play the Bears twice. Is maybe where Clark and I disagree a little bit. But the Bears, our final team here, very similar future numbers uh, from the Lions. They are 150 to one to win the Super Bowl, 70 to one to win the NFC. Uh, six and a half is the number for them as well. Overs plus money. Under, you're having to lay a little bit of juice, and they are 14 to one to win the division. Uh, fairly easy, similar to the Lions, playing a bottom schedule against a fairly easy interconference schedule, uh, and they have a plus seven rest advantage. This new regime has its hands full. It is not uncommon for us to see an offensive-minded coach fired and replaced with a defensive-minded coach. That's what we have here. But you don't love to see it when you're looking to bank on a second-year quarterback's growth. It would be a little bit easier for me to swallow if they were bringing in an experienced offensive play caller to support him. That's not what the Bears have done. We have Matt Aberflus over from the Colts from a defensive coordinator standpoint in as the head coach. Uh, new offensive coordinator and play caller will be Luke Getze coming over from Green Bay. Never call plays in the NFL. Call plays, I think, a couple of years ago with like Mississippi State and then back in like Division II like 11 years ago. I'm sure he learned a lot from LaFleur and Rodgers. Like we talked about O'Connell in Minnesota. Maybe they'll do some of that stuff from a formation standpoint, but I think there are a lot more questions than answers here. Clark, I'll let you get started on the Bears. <laughs> okay. Now I'm not I'm not back in the Bears. Like, you know, this team has so many problems. It's it's hard to list them all. Like I think you did a pretty good job. Um, you know, Justin Fields as a rookie really struggled with you know, his progressions, he struggled throwing accurately from the pocket on short passes. He did have some really nice deep throws, which is kind of funny. Uh, he also was incredible out of the pocket. It's like, as soon as his feet started actually moving, he can make plays. Um, and I'm I'm not looking to fade this team for that reason. And and it's because, you know, there's different types of quarterbacks. And when a, when a quarterback like Andy Dalton is bad, you're talking about a guy that sits in the pocket, has to read defenses. When a guy like that is bad and has a bad offensive line and bad receivers, it goes downhill fast and there's no redemption. There's just nothing you can do. But when you have a quarterback like Justin Fields who can create plays on the run, he can make teams that even don't have a lot of talent perform at, at a high level against bad defenses because he can basically create winning opportunities for anybody, anybody who's an NFL caliber receiver can run around long enough if Justin Fields can create five, six seconds of time to get open. And we saw it last year with Jalen Hurts. We've seen it with Lamar Jackson. Neither of those quarterbacks had good receiving, good receivers in their blow-up years, but they still performed at a high level and won a lot of games because they can create that offense. And so I'm not looking to fade the Bears because their rock bottom doesn't look the same as a team that doesn't have a quarterback like Justin Fields. Um, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about the offensive line uh, in, in a few minutes, but I just want to give you guys a chance to talk as well. We got J.D. Well, you set me up to talk about the offensive line since <laughs> the Bears literally spent the second fewest, second least amount of money on their offensive line, which is concerning since under pressure, that's where Justin Fields struggled. 46% completion rate, 5.3 yards per attempt, and the third fewest third least amount of cap, that's what I should say, uh, in terms of their wide receiver room. Didn't add to their offense in the draft until their third overall pick in the third round, which 
infamously was Belis Jones, who remember is five months older than teammate Darnell Mooney and didn't produce more than 280 receiving yards until literally his sixth year in college. I have no hope for him whatsoever in the NFL. Also, for their defense, that's where I look at and say this is this is going to be an absolute mess because as much as I worry about Justin Fields being under pressure from this poor offensive line, they lost Eddie Goldman, Akeem Hicks, and Bilal Nichols. Uh, Larry Ngojobi, remember, that contract failed through because he failed his physical. And that's with them already finishing 27th overall and pressure rate last year and then trading Khalil Mack. So overall, like there was literally, outside of Justin Fields, having perhaps even biased promise when I look at him. Like, unlike the Giants, this team did nothing to strip down everything and it seems like they're already building it up incorrectly. So, like, there's no hope. And I feel like Justin Fields is going to lose another year of development. So that's where I stand with the, the Bears. I am definitely more worried about them than Clark is. What are your offensive line thoughts, Clark? I think that our metrics for judging offensive line play are highly flawed uh, because the quarterback in the scheme plays such a big role in how easy the job is of the offensive lineman that I think – Things like, you know, what PFF does where they watch every snap and they grade, you know, on a scale of, I think, like one to five or something. How well did this, you know, this person perform in their assignment in this pass blocking situation, this run blocking assignment? I think ESPN does a similar thing. Because think about it like this. Like, if your quarterback doesn't read pressure well, he's not going to set up the right blocks. And that's going to lead to a bad situation where you're more likely to lose. If your quarterback sits in the pocket and doesn't read that pressure coming off the edge, it's more likely to lead to a bad play. But if you have a quarterback who can escape, like let's say you're the left tackle and the quarterback rolls right, you really just kind of have to push that edge like, you know, backwards and he's not going to be part of the play. And so it's less likely that that lineman's going to get a negative grade on that play because his job is just so much easier. And so I, I, I did some research and I looked at the PFF offensive line team grades in the years where Lamar Jackson had his first year as a starter, Jalen Hurts had his first year as a full-time starter, and... Uh, Kyler Murray had his first year as a full-time starter because these were the guys that I think have comparable mobility to Justin Fields. And before the season, in all three of those years, the PFF grade for the offensive line of those teams was nine spots lower than it was at the end of the year. So uh, in Baltimore, it went from 11th at the beginning of the year to second at the end. In Arizona, it was 21st at the beginning to 12th at the end. And then in Philly, it was 13th at the beginning to fourth at the end. And so I think what happened in those cases is when you go from an immobile quarterback to a quarterback who can create outside the pocket, you just make their job easier. And so they improve, I guess, by the grades just by having an easier job. So I think what, we, what we're what we dealing with here is not the worst offensive line in the league. I think by the end of the year, it's going to be sort of, you know, 20th or so, which is still not great. And I'm still not optimistic about the team. But I think it, it lowers some of my concern about this being a complete downhill mess. Actually, in the ESPN metric, the uh, pass block win rate, they were six last year. So they were actually favorable. I think that adds to your, you know, your point there. Because I, I am, and I think maybe like Daigle too, I want to be bullish on Justin Fields as a talent, but I'm concerned that this is going to be another lost year. And like, I want to be encouraged. Like I said, like I'd have so much more confidence if I felt good about what I know from the play caller. And I imagine he'll take stuff from what he had from LaFleur and learn from that. Um, as we're expecting, you know, Kevin O'Connell to do, um, we often do that, right? It's just the transitive property of of coaching where you were before. We expect you to, to do some of those same things. And that, like, that's the big that's the big caveat is the yeah. play calling has to maximize his talent. If 
if they try and sit him in the pocket, <laughs> this isn't going to go well. They, they're going to have to design plays for him to succeed. And, think, you know, it's a lot of what ifs with a new staff. But if you look at the Eagles last year, you know, people were saying the Eagles are going to lose more games than any other team. I remember, I think it was PFF. They said the Eagles are going to, we're betting on them to, to win the fewest games in the NFL. We were talking about, you know, their offensive line struggled at the end of the year, the year before. We're talking about how they didn't have any receivers, how they have a new coach. We don't know what this coach is going to be calling. All of these same issues were true of the Eagles last year, and they won nine games because they had an easy schedule and a mobile quarterback. And so I think the Bears having an easy schedule is really the only thing that allows them, in my opinion, to potentially, you know, flirt with going over their win total, <laughs> if not if not fail miserably. I also wonder just how much it matters even if he does manage to succeed. Like I think about Deshaun Watson leading the league in passing yards in 2020, and those, that Texan team won four games overall. Watson that year also finished fifth in completion rate, 20-plus yards downfield. Uh, I expect Justin Fields, for instance, unlike last year, he handled he, he ran the ball 72 times total. Literally only two of those were design runs by Matt Nagy. An absurd rate. He finished top five in true scrambles among quarterbacks. I expect that to increase the design runs at least. So they will get him, presumably, out in the open more. And unfortunately, for better or worse, he carried over those traits from college and that he was still poor under pressure in college. He was still poor against the Blitz in college. But when left clean, he was still one of the more accurate passers. He was the most accurate passer in the entire class, 20-plus yards downfield. So if they can just roll him out more, which Maggie, which Nagy did not do at all, like there is promise there. I just still don't know if it even matters when he looks up and it's only Byron Pringle and Vilas Jones running downfield. Including so St. Brown. That's why, that's why I'm a little worried. And But to your point, though, Clark, like – it's not like the win total is going up or down. Like they're still somehow, in my opinion, only at six and a half. At FanDuel, it's only juiced to minus one forty-five under. Like that's not even threatening. You could still just lay it right now if you want to. And so that's why I still lean personally to get the plus money and go alt under five and a half wins. But then again, like if you if you like the over just because of Justin Fields, I think that's okay too. It's not egregious in my opinion. Yeah, and and the other thing that we haven't touched on with this is how if they call design runs correctly and, and well-designed runs, your your overall run game improves. We've seen this time and again. It's basically Absolutely. like you have another offensive lineman because instead of the quarterback handing the ball off and being out of the play, the quarterback is a potential runner. So a, as a linebacker, you're running in and now you don't know which way to commit to. It, it causes you to stay off the line for another half a second, which can be all it takes to create a six-yard run that would have been a two-yard run. And so the running backs can be more efficient when the quarterback has designed runs in, in his arsenal. And so I think there's just a lot of ways that this team outperforms its talent level, which is extremely low. Yeah, I think mean, that's right. Def the defense, as Daigle lined up, like still massively concerned. They didn't do a lot to replace those guys. A lot of those guys missed time last year, but then we saw what happened. And now we're asking, they didn't have a first round pick because of the Justin Fields trade the year before. And they had two early picks in the second and added two guys in the secondary that they need to step in and play immediate snaps and again that's okay sometimes that works just a big ask when they didn't do anything else from a talent standpoint it's going to be a below average pass rush they're not going to do a lot to support this team they tried to hide they played a they did not want their nickel package on the field last year they knew their secondary was bad i think obviously you know Aberflus with his background is a she fairly vanilla cover two guy uh, historically like they don't do a lot of dynamic things Again, maybe he's got some new plans. It'll be different when he's in charge, but it's a combination of both the offense and the defense. 
I can be sold on the fact that Justin Fields' talent prevails and he, you know, high tide raises all ships kind of thing on the offensive line and masks some of the offensive line issues and can make Velas Jones or Byron Pringle a thing and they could do enough to get him to be decent. But yeah, I mean, I took the alt under at five and a half because there's that is just way too many ifs and it was plus money. And I just feel like this, this team is, again, I know the schedule is nice, but I, I don't know. I, I just, I worry about what's going to happen here. And I just don't know that they have any close games and his, his pressure numbers worried me from last year. So I think you made great points, Clark. And I think that doing that research on where those rushing quarterbacks were, I think is a really cool note. And I think that that will be something we'll reference when we see kind of how the bears are doing. And if they start to have some good success in the season, I think that that, will play itself out as some, as some pretty good work. So, yeah, under on the Bears for me still. I think we're all in agreement. I didn't want to sell Clark as a as a Bears backer here, but I knew that he had – I knew that he was a, uh, a Justin Fields homework uh, he had done, and he felt good about it. So, uh, respect that work. So, we'll go around, and uh, you gentlemen can give me your favorite way to bet the NFC North. Dave, I'll start with you. I think it is Vikings to make the playoffs a plus money. I still like their over eight and a half, honestly, but – as both of you mentioned, making the playoffs is so much safer given the discrepancy and just how wide open the NFC overall truly is behind the Bucks. So definitely Vikings can make the playoffs. Yeah, again, Caesars is the best number there. Uh, plus 105, there's a minus 105 on MGM. Uh, otherwise, most of the other places are minus 110, minus 115. Clark, what do you got? I hope Eric Eager is not listening, uh, but I'm, I'm oh, making no. mine... Lions under six and a half wins. Uh, on Circa, you can get a plus 110. That's what I played it at. Uh, you can also get FanDuel plus 105. I think that's fine, too. Um, I just think that the the optimism has gotten a bit out of control and disconnected from what we saw on the field last year. Love it. Yeah, I, I'm with Daigle on the Vikings to make the playoffs. Uh, like I said, again, I took an, an alt under um, multi-unit play on the Bears uh, under five and a half. So those will be my favorite ways to to bet it. I think it's an interesting division. I think that they're, again, like the Minnesota thing could be interesting. I do think that, again, if we get a full season of Aaron Rodgers, Packers will win this division again, regardless of the questions at the receiver position. But, uh, again, a little bit more interesting than it's been in the past. Even the – we could be down a little bit on the Lions, down on the Bears, but at least the storylines, I think, are a little bit more interesting than they were last year. The, you know, Matt Nagy Bears were pretty boring uh, in all senses last year, so – Good stuff, gentlemen. Uh, Daigle, what do you got coming up on the site? Team previews already halfway done. Hoping to have, I should have 20 by Friday, and then we really kick it into gear next week to finish this thing out. But also, they're being updated for camp news. So I've already had to update six for injuries between James Washington and Van Jefferson, Deshaun Watson news, all discussing ADP since I'm heavy in the FFPC high stake streets right now. So definitely just tune into that. And then um, a couple more one off articles every Friday for the rest of the offseason. Clark, you got some more stuff coming? Yeah, I've got uh, an article right now where it has all my week one bets. I've actually played <laughs> six or seven games already yeah. on week one because if I feel good about the number, I'm just going to play it, um, you know, and, and trust that, that you know, I, I'm beating the market. And some of them have already moved, so you don't you won't get them all. But um, there's still some numbers out there that I like, and, and I, it's never too early to take them in my opinion. I have far too much money for August 3rd on that Jacksonville hook. I'll just say that much. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, that feels like the Clark game at four for four for sure in the Discord. We got, I think most the hook people is gone. It. It, 
the hook is going to be gone, by the way. So yeah, uh, yeah. I, I got four and a half, and then the money line is also tasty. It's tasty, tasty. Oh, I didn't. I didn't think about that. Gosh, don't yeah. make me. I don't want like half my net worth on Jacksonville by August third for a month down the road. Join the dark side. Should be interesting. Um, I'm working on a piece that'll tell you the best way to bet every team win total. Um, that project will be uh, in a couple of weeks. Also working on some wide receiver stuff on the fantasy side. So continue to click over at 444.com slash plans. Best way to get the betting sub gives you access to literally everything on the site. You're not going to get any of Clark's work without the betting sub. You're going to want to take advantage of that. The subscriber only discord, I think is a great community of like-minded degenerates. Um, I love our community. They will call us out. If they question stuff, they are, uh, you know, they challenge us to continue to back our, um, our thought processes all the time often in polite ways some of you not always so be nice to everyone but that is a great community and uh we're proud of what we built there over the last couple of years so uh, definitely worth its weight in gold and uh again you want to talk about you know week one games on uh, the first week of august at two in the morning there will be someone in the chat that wants to uh talk it with you so i think that's a pretty valuable piece so uh we'll be back next week to uh, we only have a couple left so Dale will tell us what we're doing uh but for Dale and clark i'm ryan we'll see you all soon yeah.